Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. Um, special greetings to all of you here praying that your team, whether it's Alabama or Ohio State, gets the nod from the committee. So good luck with that. Uh, special greetings to those joining us from Crossroads Highland Park upstairs at the 01. So about uh, 15 years ago, uh, after uh, church, this is, this is back when Joe Girardi, who has recently been let go as manager of the New York Yankees, was finishing up his playing career as a Chicago Cub, and the Girardis were here at Christ Church. Uh, after church one day, we were in a conversation, and, and he was telling me that he was planning on going uh, to New York the next year to be a bench coach under Joe, under, uh, Joe Torrey so that he could, quote, learn the game of baseball. And I said, are you kidding me? Uh, Joe, you're a Northwestern grad. You're a smart guy. You've been playing baseball forever. You've been a catcher. The catcher is sort of the coach on the field. I go, I I said, I I don't mean to insult you here, but what don't you know? And he said, oh, you, you have no idea. And I said, well, Seriously, tell me. I go, you know, you got, you, you got to figure out your roster and maybe the batting order, and you got some pitching changes to make now and then, and I suppose there's a call for a, you know, hit and run or a steal, whatever. I said, but if this was football, if this was, if this was, uh, if this was basketball, I'd get that there's still a lot of coaching, a lot about the game to learn to be a coach, but it seems to me like you, you've got all that. He said, you have no idea what's going on in the game. So I went to another former baseball player, and I said, Girardi says that, you know, there's all this going on in the game. And I said, seriously, you you think the same way? He's got to go be a bench coach to learn the game of baseball to be able to coach it? And this guy said, "Uh, when I watch baseball on TV, I leave the sound off because I am so infuriated by the announcers saying what's going on when they're clueless about what's going on in the game. They do not understand it. He said, most players playing the game do not understand the game of baseball. I'm like, wow. So this past year, there's a, a, a guy at Christ Church who's in baseball analytics, and he uh, works for the Brewers, and he invited me to a game. And I said, I want to I wanna understand what's going on in the field that I don't see. Like, I want to I wanna, I wanna be able to look behind the scenes. So he was explaining a little bit of the moving pieces uh, of baseball. As it turns out, there's often a lot of things going on around us that we don't pick up on. Right? The old joke is that there's three kinds of people, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who say, what just happened? Right? So in an effort to sort of try and keep you out of the what just happened, uh, I want us to, to go behind the scenes in uh, a particular old ancient hymn. So as it turns out, there's a lot that goes on in the lyrics of these ancient hymns that are rich theology, that are informed profoundly by Scripture, but um, as our culture has drifted further and further from uh, sort of Christian moorings, a whole lot of this stuff just goes over our head. We don't see it. We don't get it. And uh, this is unfortunate because there's so much theology being, being explained here, but it's also, uh, it's ironic because these hymns, this hymn in particular, written 12, 1300 years ago, was written to teach illiterate people the, the gospel. 
And yet, um, although they were illiterate and we're much smarter than they are 1,200 years later, we, don't, we not only don't learn it, we don't even know that they're being taught, right? We're just, we're missing all the stuff that's going on. And, and I'm not just talking, I mean, kids are often missing what's going on, right? They think in Silent Night, Round Yon Virgin is, is Round John Virgin, and he's some sort of mix between Little John and Friar Tuck and Robin Hood. And, and you got Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Clearly, that's about an angel named Harold, right? So there, there's a lot of stuff that people miss. In Excelsis Deo, uh, the line in, in Gloria, it means uh, glory to God in the highest. I suspect lots of adults don't know that, but who knows what people are saying. I read this past week, someone said, forever I was singing in Chelsea's stable. I had no idea that it was in Excelsis Deo. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that is even at a, uh, you know the words, but often perhaps miss everything that's being said. So 10 years ago, we did a series called Songs of the Season, and we looked at, uh, Joy to the World and Silent Night and uh, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. This year we're going to look at, at other songs. And today in particular we're going to look at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which uh, is, is, again, a very ancient hymn. The, we, we believe that it was written, well, we know it was written uh, in the 700s, so 1,300 years ago. And we believe it was written by a monk because at that time, this is the Dark Ages, Europe is climbing out of civilization, has crashed, and illiteracy is everywhere, and there's wars going on, and nobody has, nobody has Bibles, nobody can read. And, and the person who wrote this song clearly knows Scripture very well, because all these references, Rod of Jesse, Day Spring, Desire of Nations, right? these are all references to Christ, but they're not things that you might pick up on the first or second time that you're reading through the Bible. Right? They are illusions that are lost on uh, many people. So this person was obviously very steeped in Scripture. So the belief is that uh, the lyrics, which were part of a Latin chant, were written 1,300 years ago in the Dark Ages. This, the, the hymn, the tune that we sing it to today, is more recent than that. Uh, parts of it go back to the 1500s. The full tune that we know, which has a, a very appropriate sort of haunting quality to it, the tune goes back uh, in, in its entirety to the 1800s. And, and the, the music does a great job of capturing Advent. So just so you know, Advent is different than Christmas. They are related, right? But Christmas has its own sort of energy and its excitement, and Christmas tends to be focused on the birth of Jesus, and it's a celebration. And, and today, Christmas is about, I don't know, it's about uh, eggnog and, and debates over Starbucks coffee cups and Cyber Monday and Black Friday and all kinds of other things. But Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and it means, uh, it means coming, arrival, and, it, and it, is, it is a time when we are to reflect and prepare for the arrival of Christ. Now, we are not a, a particularly high church, like uh, Anglican church, Catholic church, uh, Lutheran church. Many of them celebrate a Christian calendar. And in celebrating a Christian calendar, uh, they, they go through the life of Christ every year. And so the Christian year starts right now. 
It starts with the annunciation by the angel Gabriel to Mary that she is with child. And she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And so that begins the Christian year. And then we enter a month that's called Advent, when we are preparing for the arrival of Christ. So the whole life of Jesus has to be, has to be squeezed into a year. So the pregnancy of Mary is one month. Some of you may have appreciated that if you could compress a pregnancy to one month. So the pregnancy is one month, then you've got the birth of Jesus, and then on January 15th is Epiphany, and you celebrate the dedication of Jesus, and everything is going to fold out. Everything is going to be catapulted down into this one-year time frame. His teaching, then, of course, his baptism, his teaching, his, his uh, crucifixion, his resurrection, Pentecost, all of that is rehearsed every year. When that happens, there's a big deal made of the fact that this is the time of Advent, and we are, we are putting ourselves back into the frame of mind of an Old Testament prophet who is looking ahead to the birth of the Messiah. We, at the same time during Advent, we are to be putting ourselves into the mindset that says, what has happened in the first coming of Christ was wonderful and glorious. Jesus shows up. He is the, he is the Son of God. He shows up. He lives. He loves. He teaches. He dies. He rises again. He defeats death. But we're still hungry for more. Right? This is, we're looking for his return. We live still in a broken world. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It's begun. But we live in a time of of pain and brokenness and suffering. And death has been defeated, but it hasn't been destroyed. And the promise in Revelation 21 is that it will be destroyed. So Jesus conquered death at the resurrection, but he will defeat and destroy death. And it will be no more as we look ahead to, to to the kingdom in its full realization. And so we are tapping into that idea that, that, that Jesus came once, we're going back and imagining that we were Isaiah or Jeremiah or somebody waiting for the birth of the Messiah the first time, but we're also reflecting on the fact that we are waiting for his return right now. And so while Christmas songs, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, are full of energy and joy because Jesus has arrived, Advent songs are a little bit more melancholy. They're a little bit more, we're pondering, we're waiting, and we're, we're asking that Jesus would, would show up. And so the, the, the tune here, the melody, has a little bit of a haunting cadence to it. There's some energy because there's some certainty when we sing rejoice, rejoice. There's some certainty that he's going to come. But there's also a sense in which we are still waiting and longing. So we're going to turn to the lyrics now, um, and we, we, we know that these are based on, uh, on Isaiah 7 because of the, the use of the term uh, Emmanuel. So you've got a card, or should have had a card that was handed to you when you came in, and um, these have the lyrics. Now, there's actually seven verses, we're going to sing five. But, but way back a thousand years ago, in the, in the day, in the week leading up to Christmas, there was special songs called antiphones that, that celebrated a different aspect of Christ's character every, uh, every day. 
And this song, Emmanuel, oh, Emmanuel, this was the last one. It was done on the last night. And at some point, because uh, music changes over time and words get changed and the tune gets changed, what we have now was eventually a, a, a synthesis of all seven days. So all, there's seven different aspects of Christ's character that are celebrated in here. There's seven verses we're looking at Five. So, O come, O come, Emmanuel. So, O come, O come, please show up, right? This is, this is a, a pleading. We're looking forward. Some of you are desperately looking forward to a world that works. It's, not, it's, it's very much Advent for you. It's not Christmas in the sense of joy. It's another year, and you're waiting, and you're struggling. And, and so there's a, use these lyrics here as a, as a, Plead to God, come, Lord Jesus, in, in, in your final form, come in the fullness of your kingdom, but just come into my life. I need more of you. O come, O come, Emmanuel. So Emmanuel is the term first introduced in Isaiah 7. And it means, in Hebrew, it is God with us. And, and it, there's a complicated scenario going on in Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, and, and in order to understand that, and really in order to understand any of Isaiah, you have to understand Isaiah 6, which is the call of Isaiah, and it changes everything. Isaiah is a prophet. He's living hundreds of years before Christ is born. And his famous call, Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and, and he goes on to say that there were angels, special kinds of angels, seraphim. And they had six wings, and with two they covered their eyes, and with two they covered their face or their feet, and with two they flew, and they were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah says, when he sees this, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am broken. I can't see God and survive. Woe is me. And, and then God reaches out to him, and, and he's purified, and then God will ask in Isaiah 6, uh, who shall I send? And Isaiah will say, here am I, send me. And so what, what we have to understand for everything that is going to follow in the, in, the, in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah has seen God, and having seen God, every problem he sees is small, Right? Big God, small problems. Small God, big problems. Isaiah has seen God. And, and, the, and so everything about Isaiah is going to be shaped by this view of a holy, majestic, powerful God. And in Isaiah 7, he's given his first assignment. He goes to Ahaz, who is the king of Judah. And Ahaz is panicking because there's a couple, there's a couple kings and their kingdoms that are coming after him. And so he is, he is nervous about this. He thinks he's going to be wiped out. And so he's looking to make a deal with a, with a bad king who will come and be his supporter. And Isaiah shows up and says, look, Ahaz, don't panic. God has got this. He has made promises to you. He has made promises to the, to the bloodline. The Savior of the world is going to come through your people. You do not have to worry. 
In fact, Isaiah says, you can ask God for whatever you want to ask him. Anything in heaven, on earth, or in hell. You can ask God for anything and God will give it to you as a sign. And Ahaz says, well, I'm, you know, who am I? I don't want to ask God for a sign. Ahaz is not a particularly uh, religious man. He's not a godly king. So he just sort of defers. He says, I I wouldn't think about asking God for a sign. And so Isaiah says, okay, well, here's what God says. He's going to give you a sign. And the sign is that a virgin is going to give birth to a son. And this son will be God himself. God with you. And this is, the, this is the first time the name, the title, Emmanuel, is going to show up. And, and it will be used again in Isaiah. And then it will be used when, when the angel Gabriel goes to Mary in Matthew. And says, you are, you are going to give birth to the son of God. God will be with you. God is coming to be with us. This is, this is going to change everything, and it is given as a sign. There is a promise. So Isaiah chapter 7 is a pivotal chapter. When Jesus preaches his first sermon, it will be out of Isaiah chapter 7. The book of Isaiah is an incredibly important book, and the, the writer of this hymn is taking us back to this promise. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here. So, understand that at the end of the Old Testament, there's a time where Judah, so the nation of Israel, the people of God, are taken into exile in Babylon. Right, so they're in exile for 70 years. And, and we are going back into an Old Testament mindset when we say... Right, Come, show up, Jesus, and fix this problem. But it is also, the writer is also speaking to us today because the, the, the exile of Israel was very much a metaphor for the situation we find ourselves in as well. We are exiles in this world. right? We are, we are living as exiles from the full realization of the kingdom of God. So there's... So much going on in these lyrics. He is, he is trying, it's an Advent song. We are, we are trying to be pre-Christ's first coming and pre-Christ's second coming and thinking about how we need Jesus to show up and, and fix things for us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice. Again, there's a certainty that comes with this. We're waiting, but we're not waiting as people without hope. Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Verse 2. O come, thou rod of Jesse. And this is a reference again to Jesus. It goes back to Isaiah uh, chapter... um, chapter 20, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, we say that a shoot shall come out of the, um, the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow roots. This is a, another prophecy that is given about Christ and it is a prophecy about Jesus. So the Jesse is David's father. So, so the, the rod of Jesse, the shoot of Jesse, a, a, a branch growing out of a dead tree stump is a reference to Jesus coming out of the line of David. Again, all these, 
illusions that just go right over our head unless we really understand uh, the Old Testament. Come, thou rod of Jesse, and free us from Satan's tyranny, from the depths of hell. Save us and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice. In, in verse 3, we get, um, we get a, a different allusion to Christ. Come, thou day spring, come and cheer. This is from Luke chapter 1, verse 78. This is, this is when we're told that Jesus is the light of the world, who's going to push away the darkness. Uh, so come day spring, come Jesus, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here. Now this is in Latin. The word advent is, is not, a, not a New Testament term. But again, it's your arrival. We're waiting for your arrival. Uh, cheer us up by your arrival, by showing up here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Again, when Jesus showed up the first time, he defeated death. He, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. His promise in Revelation chapter 21, is that he will destroy death. There will be no more death. No more death. Right? I mean, can we look forward to a day when there is no more death? <laughs> so, come, disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Verse um, 4 has another reference to Christ. This time he's the key of David. This is out of Isaiah 22, 22, where the promise is given a prophecy is given that Jesus is going to have the key to heaven. So he's the key of David. And then if we drop down to the final verse, so come desire of nations. Okay, again, a reference to Jesus. This one comes from Haggai chapter 2. Desire of nations. Who's the desire of nations? Who's the one that everyone is looking for? It's Jesus. And uh, uh, Charles Wesley will use this in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where we'll sing, come desire of nations, come. Right? So this is, again, the, these, these hymns can be filled with profound theological insight. But often we just sing them because they put us in a Christmas mindset. But there's a whole lot going on here. So what we're going to do, and in a couple minutes, is we're going to sing this hymn again. I want you to understand, it is a testimony to Christ. This hymn, this Latin chant, this antiphone that goes back 1,300 years, was a recitation of the different offices of Jesus, the different ways Jesus, Jesus served us, the different ways Jesus fulfilled prophecy. This him is, is rehearsing who Christ is. And it's a plea that we're making that he would show up. Right? We, we're in an Old Testament first, pre-first arrival of Christ, it is a look forward to thinking about what it would be like to be Isaiah or Jeremiah or Haggai or any of the prophets looking forward to the first arrival of, of the Messiah. But it's also a statement of longing for us that we live in a broken world. And we're looking for the one who came as a baby to return as a king. He came in meekness. He promises to come again in power. He came to defeat death. He promises to come again and destroy death. He promises to make everything right. And so we're, we're longing for that day. And we're saying, come, Jesus, please, come and show up. And, and 
And at the same time, even as we look forward to his promised return, we're asking for more of Christ in our life today. Come, Jesus, I need more of you right now. I need your encouragement right now. Come, oh come, Emmanuel, and, and, and help me navigate the challenges that I face. So we're going to sing this hymn, but first we're going to celebrate what Christ did the, in his first arrival. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll transition into communion. Emmanuel, God with us, Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, in the fullness of time you set aside the glories and privileges and, of being God, eternal God, and you showed up through a virgin's womb to live among us, to serve, to guide, to teach, ultimately to die in our place. We thank you that you have defeated death. We thank you that you paid our debt. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for what you did, and we pray that you would return. And we pray for more of you right now, and we ask this in your name. Amen.